Well, the late J.I. Packer said these words. He said, what were, what were we made for to know God? What aim should we have in life to know God? What is the eternal life that Jesus gives to know God? What is the best thing in life? It's to know God. What in humans gives God most pleasure? Knowledge of Himself. Well, if those words are true in church, I believe they are. We need to look no further than His Word. His Word tells us everything about who God is. His Word tells us about His character, His love. His Word tells us about His redemptive plan for mankind. And so this morning as we look, about, look at John chapter 17, I believe we're going to see that. We're going to read the very words of Jesus as He prays His very intimate and personal prayer to the Father. So turn with me, if you will, at John chapter 17. And we're not going to read the entirety of 17, but I will tell you this. John chapter 17 is, is the prayer of Jesus. In its entirety. And as we look at this, this prayer, I really want to set the scene up for you so you understand where this prayer comes. I believe seeing this, reading this prayer, and understand kind of the, the setting of it all really brings some beauty to this prayer. It really brings a lot of significance to it. So let me set the scene. Jesus has just spent much time with his disciples. They're there in the upper room and, and, and they've, they've spent this time together, very, a very intimate fellowship. Um, they've celebrated the, the Passover and, and ultimately Jesus has set up as what we would call you know, the Lord's Supper, where we take the, the bread and we remember his body being broken for us. Where we take the juice and we remember the blood poured out on our behalf. And so Jesus has kind of set this up for them and, 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 and you know, really told them to go and, and to do likewise. Well, Jesus has taught them many things and, and, and one of the things that we often remember and that He shared there is that He washed the disciples' feet. He set this, this whole idea of servant leadership and, and to go and to serve each other and to love each other. And ultimately, on the hills of this, Jesus would go and we would read about another prayer that he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. A very, a very, a prayer of, of just heartache as he knows what's about to happen. As he knows the, 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 the weight of what's about to be laid on him ultimately as he heads to Calvary's cross. Well, what I want you to see this morning is God's heart in Jesus' prayer. Jesus will soon take His very last breath. What could be so important to Christ that He lifts Him up to the Father? I think we'll see some very important things. So, so look with me, if you will, John chapter 17. And I'm going to start with verses 1 through 5. They say this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Church, there's so much we could say in just these five verses. But I want to highlight a few things here. I believe in verse 2 we see Jesus' desire to bring glory to the Father. Now in that desire, I want you to see something. Something that is, is foundational to, to what we believe as, 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 as Christians. We get this glimpse of, of the Trinity. Or at least two parts of the Trinity. This, this intimacy between the Father and the Son. Well, I want to remind you of, of John 14, 9, where Jesus was, was speaking to Philip. And he says to Philip, he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, we know that Jesus is and was one with the Father. Jesus was, was God in the flesh. We know this. But despite the unity of the triune God, that they were, they were one, they were perfectly one, they were distinct in their persons. All right, and we see that. Philippians 2, 6 through 9 says that though he was in the form of God, that's Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So despite their unity, they were distinct, and Jesus' greatest desire was to bring glory to the Father. Well, how did he bring glory to the Father? I believe we see that. Look at verse 2. I believe we see it. It says that, that uh, verse 2 says, uh, since you have given him authority, does Jesus over all of flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So we see Jesus literally purchase eternal life for those that were given to him. Sometimes we hear that word propitiation, that Jesus was the propitiation. He was the payment that satisfied. Jesus' sacrifice was the payment that satisfied the wrath of God. All right, so he, he literally was the purchaser of our salvation. Also, what else we see in verse 4? That he finished the work that the Father gave him to do while on earth. Well, what was that work? Church, I believe that it was him putting on flesh. That it was humbling himself. Coming as a, as a servant. I'm reminded in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says that he, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I mean, think about that. Jesus was the very nature, the very imprint of the Father on earth. So in his coming, in his work upon earth, he was, he was pointing to the Father. He was a, an exact imprint, a replica 
of the Father's love and goodness and kindness, His holiness. I believe the work was His many miracles that pointed to His divine nature and pointed to the Father. I think His work on earth was the many messages that He preached, the truth that He preached. I believe His work was preparing the future messengers, His disciples and those that would come after Him. And then, of course, you know, I believe His work was to go to the cross, to give His very life and blood and to be shed, to be poured out that we could have life, that we could come to the Father, that the veil could be opened and and that we could enter in and have access. So I ask you this morning, do you see God's heart in Jesus' words? Verse 3 says that we, that's man, would know the only true God and His Son, Jesus. And in that knowing, we have eternal life. Church, do you know that's the love of God? That's the love of God. That we would know the one true God and His Son Jesus. And in that knowing, in that understanding, in that faith and belief, we have life. We have life. That is the message that we preach. That there is a way to come to the Father. And that's through His Son Jesus Christ. See, the glory of Jesus so desired to bring to the Father was fulfilling this redemptive plan that that the Father had long planned before. And I believe that we see this plan throughout Scripture. We see it throughout Old Testament as, as the prophets prophesied of a coming Messiah. I believe we see it right there in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fell and and sin entered in, and, and there was this great curse that came, you know, death, uh, both physical and spiritual death came in. But there was this promise of a, of a, a, ser- a serpent crusher, a, a one that would defeat Satan and defeat death. And I believe that was a, a foretelling of, of the Messiah, the, the Savior to come. Well, we see that Jesus' desire was to bring glory to the Father But let's look at verses uh, 6 through 19 where Jesus very specifically prays for His disciples. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12 that say this. I am praying for them, that's the disciples. I'm not praying for for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. And of course, we know that's a reference to Judas Iscariot, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Well, I don't want you to miss uh, God's heart in Jesus' words here. Jesus knows He is about to leave. He knows that He is about to depart from His disciples. And and He's spent the last three years 
walking with them, living amongst them, and, and doing life, and, and sharing and breaking bread, and, and teaching them many things. In a lot of ways, you could say he was, he was protecting them. He was guarding them. And he was equipping them. Well, he knows that he's about to leave, but they are still going to be in the world. And Matthew 10, 22 says that you will be hated by, by all for my name's sake. He, he told them that. If we jump back just one chapter to, to John 16, the last verse there, just on the hills of, of this prayer that we're reading, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So see, church, Jesus knew that he's about to leave them. He knew that they were going to face much tribulation. He knew that for his name's sake they would be hated. And yet in, in verse 11, Jesus prays the very words. He says, Father, keep those you have given me. Literally, that word keep is to, is to, to attend to carefully, to, to care for. And I, and I can only imagine that as Jesus was praying that prayer, and he was asking God to, to just keep his disciples, those that he had loved so much. I can see the love of a father to a son, you know, a, a parent to a child. Father, protect them, keep them. Care for them. And then there in verse 11, he prays for their unity. That they may be one as we are one. We get that picture of the, the unity of, of the, uh, you know, the Trinity there. Be one as we are one. Now I'm reminded that, you know, the birth of the church in Acts comes right on the heels of all this. And so here, you know, Jesus is, is praying Father, keep them unified. Keep them unified. They're going to face much tribulation. There's going to, people that, there's going to be people that want to, to shut them up and, 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 and stomp them out and, and, and end their lives. You know, they're going to face temptation and, and they're going to face, uh, you know, the evil one, the, the tempter coming at them. They're going to face sometimes differences and, and opinion and, and how to do ministry and, and you know, uh, where we should go. And Jesus is praying, may they be unified as, as we are unified. We see this throughout Paul's writings and, 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 and Paul correcting you know, um, uh, false doctrine coming in the church and, and infighting within the church. And yet Jesus was praying those very things. May they be unified. Well, church, I believe we really are no different. We're, you know, we, we, we read these words and we need to know that this is the heart of God for us to be unified. To be as one and, 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 and that our unity actually tells a story to the world. It points to a loving God, a loving Savior, and that, that you know, as we as believers have that Savior, that, that Spirit in us, that we are different. Our love for each other looks different. And our unity should tell, tell that story together. Well, Jesus prays these things. Verse 13, 
he goes on to say, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we see a lot in these verses. We see in verse 13 that Jesus prays that they will have his joy. Uh, We see in verse 15 that he prays the Father will protect them from the evil one. You know, I'm reminded that Jesus faced temptation just as we do. You know, he spent 40 days in the, in the wilderness. I mean, I believe he faced temptation that we, 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 could, we could not bear. And yet he was without sin. And so he knows just as he faced it, we're going to face it. And so he's praying the Father's protection on the disciples. But what I want you to see is verse 17. See verse 17, it says this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now church, as I think about those words and I think about sanctification, you know, if we spent much time in church, we understand that word sanctification means to be set apart, to be be made holy. All right, to be set apart with a a purpose. And, And, you know, and I believe that the disciples were called to be salt and light. They were to be set apart. You know, they were to live holy lives. And, and, and we know that God was calling them to a, a, a very specific ministry to take this message out, Matthew 28, to go into all the world and, and, and you know, uh, preach the gospel, to, to teach the things that, that they had been taught and to baptize in the name of Jesus. But I, but I think about, you know, the disciples had the Old Testament scriptures. You know, Jesus taught much from Old Testament scriptures. I mean, he would reference them and, and go back to them as he taught. But you know, I'm reminded in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That He is Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So see, Jesus is the Word who became flesh. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe that, that the disciples were being sanctified in the very presence of Jesus as He spoke. As words of, of truth came from his mouth. I believe the very word of God was hitting their ears and they were being sanctified through it. You know, John 18, just the chapter over when Jesus was standing before Pilate on trial, Pilate said to him, he said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered and said, You say that I am king, but he went on to say, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. 
See, Jesus was bearing witness to the truth, who he was, God in the flesh. Well, look down at verse 18. Verse 18 says, As you have sent me into the world, also I have sent them into the world. And that word sent in in Greek is apostello, all right, to order, to go to a place appointed, to send out on mission. Well, as I said, I believe the disciples had a a very specific mission. I mean, they were eyewitnesses to the truth. They, They saw Jesus. They walked with Jesus, they, they touched Him and ate with Him. They, they saw it all. But they were called to go out into the world. And you know, I think about they were, they were saved, they were sanctified, being sanctified, and then they were sent. That's much like us. We are saved, we are being sanctified, and then we are sent to go and carry on this good news message. So I say, do you see the heart of God in these words? In the final section, we see Jesus pray for us. He prays for those that will come to a saving faith after His departure. Verse 20 through 24, read this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and I love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Verse 20, Jesus prays for us. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, if you've come to that saving knowledge, and as Scripture says that we must be born again, that we are made this new creation. Jesus was praying for you. He was praying for me. And I believe in verse 20 is is something so so awesome that, that, that we see there. We see where this belief originated at. Look at verse 20. It says, through their word. All right, so their references to the disciples' Word. Remember, he was sending them out to go out and to preach the good news of the gospel. Well, this belief originated in the words he had given to them. So I want to kind of put that together for you. So Jesus is the word that became flesh. And in turn, Jesus gave this word, this truth, to faithful followers, the disciples and men like the Apostle Paul. They were set apart. They were used by God. They went out. They preached this message. People heard and and believed and were saved. And then these men and women and and, and boys and girls that, that were saved went out and they continued to preach this message. And people 
heard and believed and were saved. And for thousands of years, this message continued to be preached and continued to be preached and continued to be preached. Until guess what? Until that message landed on your ears and you heard and were saved. See, I'm reminded, church, of Romans chapter 10. Verses 13 through 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Verse 17 goes on to say, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. See, I believe in in holistic ministry. I believe that we we live our lives in a way that proclaims the gospel. You can think about it in this way. We are authenticating the gospel in the way we live our lives. Think about it for a minute. The way we speak. The way we live. The way we spend our time. maybe Maybe the way we spend our money. Maybe the places that we go or, or, or the lives that we invest in. We are authenticating this gospel message. Church, our unity authenticates the gospel. Our love for each other authenticates the gospel. But I want you to know something. We can never stop there. We can never stop with just the way we live our lives. That verse there in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, church, we have to articulate that same gospel. And I believe we see that right there, that 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 message went out and as people heard, they were saved, they believed and they were saved. And so we must go and do likewise. We authenticate it with our lives, we articulate it with our mouths. Well, verses 22 through 24, Jesus goes on and and prays that we will be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. He actually goes on to say that the world would actually know Jesus was sent by the Father and that the Father loves them through it. And that those saved will one day be with Him in heaven. Church, that's really good news. And these words were recorded for us. They were recorded for us that we would know them as His children, that we would know the very heart of God. So as I I, I close this morning, I ask you this, do do you see the heart of God in these verses? Do you see His love for His Father? That He wanted to bring glory to the Father. Do you see how he brought glory to the Father by coming as a a humble servant and giving his life as a sacrifice for man? Do you see his love for his disciples, those that he poured into and cared for and prepared to take this gospel message out? Do you see his love for for the lost that would believe this message and, and be saved? Church, I believe if if we see the heart of God in those words, the only other question that we can ask is this. 
Do we see our role in this? Do we see our role in this? See, as born-again believers, we are to bring glory to the Father. We are to be set apart and we are to be unified. And we are to take this gospel message to every tribe and tongue, to every nation, to every family member and neighbor, to every classmate and, and co-worker. We are to take this gospel message to others. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Hear this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So do you see your role to take the good news to others? Church, I believe that that is at the very heart of God Himself. And as we see that and realize that that call is, is not for, you know, pastors or missionaries or, or lay workers in the church, it's for each and every one of us as, as children of God. He's calling all of us to it. I pray you do see that this morning.